The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. This episode is brought to you by TweakedAudio.com. Get headphones, earbuds, and accessories from TweakedAudio.com. Just enter the discount code CAFCOMICS, that's all one word at the checkout. You'll get 33% off your entire order, free worldwide shipping, and a limited lifetime warranty on everything you buy. That's TweakedAudio.com. And now... It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts, John and Steven. Thank you, it's Caffeinated Comics. I'm your host, John Clark. With me, as always, is my co-host, Stephen Brown. It is uh, a Thursday. We're trying to squeeze this podcast in really really quickly yeah john's um, leaving town he's I, getting out of town yeah i'll be in new york next week um as you know i have a lot of friends there and i'm from there i will hit midtown comics i'll uh see a lot of people i'm hoping to get a podcast in while i'm out there i'm hoping like one of the people that's been on the podcast here i might do one out there that would be lovely yeah they're all lovely individuals having met most of them yes uh speaking of midtown comics uh i don't know how much of this i'm allowed to say but we have a client at work that mm-hmm. used to do the marketing for Midtown. Oh, he really? grew up in New York. He uh, got a job at Midtown, and then when they started doing social media, as that became a thing people needed to do, uh, he kind of established all of Midtown's social media stuff. They had, they um, do a good job. I yeah. Um, yeah, I know the owner, Paul, is a great, great guy. Um, both Midtown Comics and Amok Time Toys uh, approached me at one time or another to write some stuff for them. And yeah. I was like, yeah, and then just nothing happened. Nothing happened, yeah. Um, but, but they're... There, it's a great store, so it's definitely. Yeah, Midtown, I'm gonna make it a point to go. Yeah, I uh, I've been in New York a couple times, and every time I've went, uh, stopping at the Midtown location, the one by um, the train station, Union Station is. Uh, by uh, yeah, Grand Central. Grand Central, sorry, by Union Station. There's one by Times. Yeah, there's one by Grand Central. There's one by Times Square. See, I don't know if I've been to the Times Square one, but Times Square Central one is one I've been the to. Times Square one is the ones that two floors high. Oh, then I've definitely been to that one. Yeah, that's the big one. Okay. The one by Grand Central is not as big. Okay. But uh but that was great. That was we when we used to hand out flyers for the improv in the winter, yeah. which was the most miserable job you could possibly it have. It sounds like a terrible gig. Uh yeah, uh, Mike Drucker and I used to sneak out, sneak away and just go to Midtown Comics to warm up. Yeah. So that's That's uh, a good place to go. I was warm up, just though. reading um I was just rereading Batman Hush and I remember that I bought every issue at Midtown Comics. Yeah. Because I worked right around there. And I, I can clearly remember buying the first issue and the last issue. I was rereading the last issue today. And I remember going to Midtown Comics at lunch, buying it, and then just reading it in my cubicle and hoping no one would see me. Because I'm like, I, I can't wait four hours yeah. to find I out. I must know. I, 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 I know Hush is not Jason Todd, but I don't know who he is. Right. And that's a good segue because uh, there's a few news stories we didn't get to. But... Uh, Batman Hush came out as an animated movie. Yeah, you were very upset about this initially. I was very excited about it, then very upset about it, then I was okay with it. Now I've watched it. Yeah. Uh, and it's, the reason I was upset is valid, but they kind of want to have their cake and eat it too in this movie, which bugs me. Now, I like when they just adapt a book, uh, like when they do... Batman Year One, uh, New Frontier, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns, The Killing Joke. Even uh, when they they're like, "Look, it's a whole new voice cast, whole new character designs. We're going to make it look like the artist. We're going to do this book. 
we're going to get out. The problem with Killing Joke was they didn't stop there. But yeah, I, they. <laughs> but when they did well, the Killing, killing joke, joke, they you could you they, could you could it's like uh, it's like the Hobbit. You yeah. know, you can watch a version of the Hobbit thanks to Venom. Right, the yeah. guy that played Venom, Topher Grace, because he he made an edit of the video that's just what's in the book. You can do that with uh, Killing Joke. You yes. can c- cut out all the creepy. I believe weird it's like a cha- it's there. a chapter stop. Like right. you can go yeah. to like chapter three. <laughs> the DVD does it itself. Yes, the DVD gives you a fan edit. Yeah, uh, but I love those. What I'm not as crazy about is when they have their own continuity. I was okay with it for a while. There were a few years. Where like Justice League Doom and Crisis I actually on Two Earths. I just rewatched and, Justice League Doom. Yeah, and um, I loved it. I just rewatched Under the Red Hood. I still think it's the best movie they made. But that was like kind of its own continuity, where yeah. it seemed tangentially connected to Young Justice. Right, like was this a, was what the Justice League was doing while they weren't in Young Justice. Yes, they and, were doing these bigger missions, and I was cool with that. And then when the New Fifty Two happened, they re- they did a Flashpoint movie, rebooted everything. And then it's been this kind of like this like faux anime for a while, and I'm just not that into it. Yeah. Um, you know, and every time they do something like that, they're like, we're going to adapt this story. They always just kind of pull it apart and do their own version. And like when it's the MCU, I'm fine with that. But Hush is one of those movies. And I, I originally, I thought it was the first part. I thought it was like, we're going to design everybody like Jim Lee. Yeah. We're going to do that book. We're going to get out. And then I saw the trailer and I got really mad Yeah, because they showed the beginning and Batman looks like he does in Batman and Son and Batman versus Robin and Bad Blood. And and I'm like, that's nobody. Nobody loves Hush because of Jeff Loeb's story. Right. Yeah. It's like people like Jeff Loeb writing Batman, but the appeal of Hush was Jim Lee, the biggest comic book artist of all time, is going to do the biggest comic book character of all time. Right. And it paid off. Yeah. Uh, so they, they, st- in, in a story that was deliberately set up for him to redesign all the villains. Yeah. They, he drew all the major players mm-hmm. except like Mr. Freeze because it was Mr. Like, Freeze and Bane are not in it. That he didn't do. And yeah. That, and that's one of the changes they make. So they make they there's a lot of changes to it. It's not a bad movie, but the changes they made to it are not so much to make it a better movie as to make it fit their other movies and I'm like, I don't fucking care about your other movies. I mean, they did this with The Court of Owls and Batman versus Robin. They did it with The Grant Morrison Run and Son of Batman and they did it with um The Quietly Batman and Robin in Bad Blood. They took the story idea, but then they mixed it up so much where you're like, you're not really doing that book. And that's yeah. kind of what they do in Hush, where it's it's definitely a sequel to that. Like, Damien's in it a little bit. Tim Drake is not Robin, so they're fitting in there. Um, they swap out Killer Croc for Bane in the beginning. Okay. And I was listening to the audio commentary, and James Tucker, who I like a lot, he created Batman Brave yeah, and the Bold. he's good. He's one of the few people left after Bruce Tim left that I think is like uh, one of the sensible voices in the room. I don't think yeah. James Tucker's pitching like, hey, let's have Batgirl and Batman make out with Batgirl taking her top off on the rooftop. Yeah. He's not pitching which, that. Like, uh, which oddly Tim Dr- Bruce Tim did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like maybe he's the influence Tim <laughs> Bruce Tim needs. Yeah, but he said in the commentary, he said, oh, yeah, we put Bane in here because we just did this big Killer Croc fight. In Teen Titans, Judas Contract, which was another movie that was not exactly that book. Like, you, if you went in expecting Judas Contract was going to look like George Perez. Yeah, not and, happening. No, and, and, I, and I was thinking, but, you know, what if I just wanted to watch Batman Hush? Yeah. You know, why, why 
Wait, so to see the first part of Batman Hush, I had to see the Teen Titans movie, which is not exactly that. And there's a lot of stuff like that. So in the plot's pretty much the same, but they come up with a reason for him to put the Jim Lee suit on and let instead of him just being designed. Yeah. Because he's in that like black anime suit with like the chin strap. And then when he which gets Which is terrible, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I hate it. Um and it's and when his bat line gets cut and he lands in the alley, which is like the first issue. Yeah. Um then Tommy Elliott has to do the brain surgery on him. By the way, spoilers for a 20, <laughs> 20 year old book. That, yeah, maybe. Well, probably um, 15. But totally worth reading. Uh, yeah. As I said, I read it again this week because I watched the movie and it's still good. Um, but then in this, in the comic, they're like, oh, he's, it was still that point where Batman's wearing tights, but it would say in the captions, I'm wearing Kevlar. And it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> That's clearly spandex. Clearly. Um, but it's he's skin tight. But he said, oh, I have to armor my head. So then. In the movie, Alfred's like, you have to armor your head, so you have to take this older suit, and they pull up the Jim Lee suit. Yeah. Which, you know, looks more like tights than, than like, the Dark Knight one. But they have a reason for it, and then it's a little more Jim Lee. And it focuses really, really heavy on the Batman-Catwoman subplot. I wonder if that's a response like Tom King using... That's what I think. So Catwoman is more of a... in In the audio commentary, they said, well... They said the book focuses on the mystery of who is Hush. But we found when we broke that down to an hour and 10 minutes, there was no mystery because everybody was like, maybe it's that new guy, Tommy Elliott, that just showed up. Yeah, but I mean, wasn't it kind of Tommy Elliott in the first issue of Hush is like, oh, I wonder if it's going to be this brand new childhood friend of Bruce Wayne that's never been mentioned before. I wonder if he's going to be the bad guy. Yeah. (laughs) And they Uh, try to misdirect you with all this shit. Well, here's the thing. Spoilers for the, the video. It's not Tommy Elliott in the movie. Is it Jason Todd? No. No. In fact, they said we haven't introduced. Th- that was another thing that bugged me because I watched the auto commentary the same day. He said, yeah, we didn't do Jason Todd because we haven't introduced him in this continuity. And I'm like, but Under the Red Hood is the best movie you made. And that's a Ooh. clear signal that that continuity is not this continuity. Does anyone, and I could be wrong because I miss a lot of these movies, but you watch these movies and you're like, this. there's continuity here? Why aren't yeah. they just making one-off, standalone movies? No one, I guarantee you, no one's buying these movies being like, well, it better line up with the continuity from the movie three years ago. It's not the MCU. It's just like a DC animated movie. Right. They make year one. They make the Dark Knight Returns. Those aren't the same continuity. Right. And that's what I don't get of like, I don't get why they've decided. And especially since the new 52, because that's, it's been weaker. Yeah. But it's, uh, uh, you know, it visually is. it's pretty good. It's, you know, DC anime Wait, hang on a second. used to be great. Who is Hush then? Oh, Hush. Spoiler alert. Okay. Spoiler alert for the end of the movie. They just make Riddler Hush. Instead of Riddler helping Hush, he is Hush. He is Hush. And a lot of that is like, uh, if you read Hush, and I'm not a biggest fan of Jeff Loeb, I'm pretty sure they didn't know who Hush was going to be until the end of it. They're like, all right, maybe it's Tommy Elliott, maybe it's Jason Todd, maybe it's the Riddler, maybe it's Scarecrow. Ah, it's going to be Tommy Elliott. I think it was always Tommy Elliott. I think Jeff Loeb likes to lie in the press too because he likes to write mysteries. Because they did the same thing with uh, Who is Holiday in Long Halloween. Yeah. You know, and it was like, and that was one where it was like, oh, it's this, it's, uh, wait, it's, and like, like, wasn't it, I think it was in Dark Victory where like Holiday was actually like three people. Yeah. Where it was like, oh, this one did these three murders, but this one did these two murders. Oh, so, Jeff Loeb. So it's, it's, wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. It wasn't as great as I hoped it was going to be. Yeah. Um, And DC animated movies have settled into this like fine kind of thing like the last one i watched was justice league fatal five which was all like the bruce tim designs 
So it's not that continuity. Right. It's like kind of a Justice League Unlimited, and it was Kevin Conroy doing Batman, and Susan Eisenberg doing Wonder Woman. Um, so it had like the original three voices in it, but you know, it didn't feel like another Justice League Unlimited. And then in the middle of that, I was like, all right. Fine. Yeah. I mean, I used to watch all those videos. Now it's like, I probably missed the last, I think I've watched like year one, Dark Knight Returns. I watched Doom, Justice League Doom and Justice League, um, whatever the multiverse one yeah, crisis on two crisis. those are all the early those ones. those are great and i haven't watched probably one and then i watched the japanese batman ninja or whatever it was yeah that's called, nuts which was insane yes uh but other than that it's like i don't care about them because it's like it's like because of this because it's like they try to have their cake to eat it too and there's been a lot of talk for dozens of years of people being like dude they need to make kingdom come the animated movie and it's like yeah i used to say that too they probably shouldn't because yeah. they're gonna fuck it up and how on earth are they gonna animate make it all look anime yeah, and it's just like, it's not going to look good. It's like, you know, I don't know. These yeah. things are they're so low level for me. It's like, I it's know. hard to care about something where it's like, they so desperately want to have their own continuity, but it's like, I, ca- I cannot fathom that anybody's watching any of these animated movies making sure that they line up continuity-wise with the one before it. Like, well, who's even aware of that? And especially when the next one is not part of this continuity. Because like, like I said, the last one before Hush was part of the Justice League Unlimited continuity. It didn't even occur to me that, like, Crisis on Infinite Earths and Justice League Doom were in the same continuity. Same characters. I just thought these lines, were yeah. different Justice League stories. Right. You know? Yeah, so, I don't know. And uh, I'm not even sure what's next, but it's it's been a... I don't know. But even when they did Gotham by Gaslight last year, they did, like, a Mike Mignola version, but then they changed that whole story around. Right. And then it was it was okay. Yeah, it, it, yeah. I mean, it's like uh, I don't want this podcast to be like the shit on fucking DC every week. But when the DC keeps doing the same thing every week, we have no other opportunity to like praise them. It's like they're trying with this Harley Quinn cartoon they're coming out with, but it's like yeah, they're just it, they're just like a bunch of knuckleheads stumbling around in the dark. You know, yeah. it's like it's it's like painful to watch. I still like Tom King on Batman. Yeah, I got that. We'll going. see where that goes. Uh, well, speaking of disappointing things, uh, this week Rucker Hauer passed away. Yeah, and uh, great, fantastic character actor who um, best known for Blade Runner, and that was every single tribute I've seen was is a Blade Runner tribute. was Roy it's Batty. That quote and, about yes, in the rain and stuff. Which apparently was his ad lib. It's oh like the best God. line in the movie, and Rucker and he Howard made it up. Yeah. That's crazy. That speech makes no sense, though, up until there. Yeah. Where he's like, I saw fires on Seti 3. I'm like, wait. The I, meme I, of Grover in the rain. Yes. And he's saying that quote. Like, and at first I didn't realize what he was saying. And then I was like, is this the fucking Blade Runner speech? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> With Grover. And Ooh, I don't know if they made great. it because Rutger Hauer passed away. or Yeah, or, I think that was like the or week or two It had just been around. And then maybe it's been recycling. Yeah. Like people have been resharing it. Um, yeah, I didn't really... Um, I know him from Blade Runner, obviously, and I think I've seen him in other stuff. Like, well, he's in Batman Begins. He's great yeah, in Batman. Yeah, he's Begins. like a gangster, or whatever. No, he's he's the CEO of Wayne Enterprises, but he's a jerk. Yeah, he's a jerk. Yeah, he's okay. he's the one that fires uh, Lucius Fox. He's yeah, like, didn't you get the memo? Yeah, he's the memo guy. And I kind of like that they fire him at the end, and then when Dark Knight happens, I'm like, hey, Rucker Howard's not in this. I was like, nope, Wayne Enterprises fired his ass. Yeah, that guy moved to Metropolis. That guy right. moved to Coast City. Yeah. <laughs> 
not even Metropolis. No. Not even a sister city. He's a lower tier city. But you know, he but that's a good indication of the kind of actor he was. He always put in his best performance. He was always interesting to watch. Yeah, he's always good. It's one of the things you either talked about this or I read it in an interview where they were saying when um, Christopher Nolan was looking to make The Dark Knight, he was like, I want the supporting cast to be really strong. And it does kind of show you uh, with the Batman movies that Christopher Nolan did is that even like a small part, the guy that runs Wayne Enterprise, he got a good actor to play that right. role. You know what I mean? It's like... Say what you will Michael Caine, Alfred. That's nuts. Right, yeah. We're really lucky. It's like, yeah. uh, say what you will about those movies. Those, those cast is like perfect in those yeah. films. Except maybe that one girl's Catwoman. She's unremarkable in every way, but you know. She's she's pretty without being attractive, Anne Hathaway. She's just, she, and she's good without being interesting. I don't know what it is about Anne Hathaway that she's just doesn't a regular. Work. She's just like she's she always seems like somebody that's like like accidentally famous. You know, it's like she's, she's kind of like Sa- Sandra Bullock. <laughs> kind of, it's like uh, you know Sandra Bullock. I liked a lot more, I think, but she is kind of very like just she's just there. I don't know that I'd look twice at her. Like if I passed her on the street, I probably couldn't pick her out of a lineup out of fifty people that look just like her. It's like. She's just very unremarkable. No wrong with her. She's just no, she's not bad. And right, you, you know. Um, I just I don't know what the big deal is. Everyone was so over the moon about her being cast as Catwoman, and I was like, you can find anybody else to do this. I keep forgetting she's in it. Yeah, like the scream is good. I just she rem- screams in the bar. Yes, and she's like she faking gives a, she or gives whatever. A good performance. It's a good performance. She's but a good I actress. Th- when it's I think about like, that movie, I'm like Tom Hardy is Bane. That's all. Yeah, that's all I remember. Um, there was a Rutger Hauer movie. I was just talking about this called The Hitcher from like the eighties. It was the first thing I ever saw it in because it was like on HBO all the time, where he plays like a murdering psychopath and like see Thomas Howell like picks him up as a hitchhiker and then he follows him for the rest of the movie. Yeah, and there's a scene in it that always stuck with me because I was like twelve and it totally freaked me out. Was that um, he's in a diner and he thinks he's gotten away from him and he orders a plate of French fries and there's a disembodied finger in there. Ew. So I've always had that like feeling that Rucker Howard was slightly creepy. Yeah, and he knew how to use it. He did. And I think uh, there's another movie I saw him in, and it's it's like it's like a half remembered memory. So it's like it's not something I'm gonna be able to like say it was this movie or this guy was in it. But it's like um, he's a very creepy guy. Yeah, and it's like intense, intense, and it's just like uh, yeah. He He's, um, uh, yeah, it's just like we're at that point where it's like all these like icons, man. These like icons of cinema. And he was 75, which doesn't feel that old. I mean, yeah. I mean, how old's Harrison Ford? Harrison Ford's older than her record. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's like, uh, you know. Well, they they didn't say what it was, but they said after a long illness. So I, and I realized, you know, I mean, Batman Begins is, uh, like 14 years ago now. Yeah. So it seems a lot more. He may have been retired for a long time, but, but it, Definitely a force that all of sci-fi will miss. Um, moving, moving on. I think the biggest news. Oh, did we miss something from San Diego? You said well, I wanted to still yeah. talk about San Diego. Well, we didn't miss anything from San Diego, but I think a few things got clarified, and then something else got announced, which is amazing. Um, the couple things is that Doctor Strange into the Multiverse of Madness will be Marvel's first horror movie. Yes. They're going to make it a horror movie, which is awesome. And which, I think a lot of that is kind of like the success of like it coming back and all these like big uh, blockbuster like And I, I think that out. also tells you that New Mutants is never coming out. Yeah. Because that yeah. was supposed to be I'm a horror I'm pretty sure movie. most people forgot about that movie. Uh, I think it's learned... just going to show up on Disney Plus. Yeah. We learn that the Loki that will be in the Loki series is the Loki that uh, in, in Endgame who disappears with the Tesseract. Right. So this will be a Loki that hasn't had the experiences of anything post 
uh, Avengers, the first Avengers movie. Mm. So he didn't do Dark World. He wasn't around for uh, Infinity War and Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Right. And then that's the other thing is Jane Foster is confirmed to be Thor in Thor Ragnarok. Yes. That is happening. Yes. But Chris Hemsworth is in it. So he's there's going to be like a passing he, of the torch or maybe. They'll she, both do it or, or they'll both. She's yeah. Thor and then gives it back. And right. it's like, look, we did Whatever it. Whatever they're doing, I'm, uh, I'm game for. And then. Um, the other thing is that Taika Waititi's trailer for this weird movie. Did you see it, Jojo? Yes, he plays Hitler. He, he plays a little boy's imaginary friend, Hitler. Who's Hitler? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and if you haven't seen the trailer, and I don't know if we posted it or not, but it's like, it looks incredible. <laughs> and it's like, um, I'm glad if Thor Ragnarok kind of broke the doors open on Hollywood for Taika Waititi to yes. just make weird stuff. Yep. I'm, I'm all there for it. Yeah, it reminds me of, um... Howie Weingarten, who's uh, been on the show, he once wrote this sketch called Wolfo, the nine-year-old boy who thinks he's Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just, it was about a little kid at breakfast who thinks he's Hitler, and all he ever said is, nine! Nine! And, they, and the whole sketch was, Wolfo, would you like some sausages? Nine! Nine sausages, that'll give you a tummy ache. <laughs> and it's like four pages of that, and I just loved it. Yeah, <laughs> and that was the first thing I thought of when I saw that. I was like, "Oh, it's like Wolfold, the nine-year-old boy." <laughs> this thing he... only me and this buddy of mine know about. There was something very early '90s Saturday Night Live about that sketch because yeah. it was a really long just title. Weird. It's like Toons is the cat that could drive a car. Yeah, <laughs> it's just odd stuff. Um, so that was uh, yeah, I'm very excited. I'd say. Oh, and then uh, Spider Man. Um. Far From Home is the first Spider-Man movie to make a billion dollars. So it is the Spider-Man Far From Home is the highest grossing Spider-Man movie of all time. And you know what the lowest grossing Spider-Man movie of all time is? I do. Do you? you It's Into the Spider-Verse. It is. Which is sad. (laughs) By like millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, I think I I saw that today and I think it's Into the Spider-Verse was marketed as a kids film and it wasn't pushed that heavily. Yeah. I think they didn't expect it to do as to well, do as well and as it'd it be did. well as well received as it was. Right. It was a way for them to not share Spider-Man money with Marvel, but but it was great and it won the Oscar and honestly it's on Netflix now. And I'm hearing from people every week. They were like, oh, I just saw that Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. I feel like it's going to be like Ragnarok, we were saying. Yeah. yeah it's just going to grow and it's grow It's a legend grow. that grows in the telling. Yeah. Although they said, and they said if you adjust for inflation, the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie is still the biggest. Oh, if, it was that big. Yeah. Yeah. If you adjust for tickets sold. Sure. Yeah. Because that summer... I mean, yeah, it's end- actually kind of weird that they measure it in dollars and not tickets sold. I right, understand the pro- idea. You know, I'm paying twelve bucks for a movie. Right, it should be based on ticket sales, like right. the the amount of tickets sold, not the dollar value of tickets. Yes, the amount of people that went to it. Yeah, that's yeah. weird that they just don't do that. That's the whole point. <laughs> you know, it's like no one cares about how much money these things make. They care about what's the who, what's the what's the most viewed movie. Right, and I saw an argument about like. Should movies be different prices depending on their budget? Should a $200 million movie cost the same to get into as a $50 million movie? And I was like, yes. Yeah, unless be- they're going to make them all cheaper. Yeah, right. absolutely. Well, the thing is, it doesn't matter how, how much cheaper they make them. The highest point one will feel like a ripoff. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like really frustrating is every year they come out and they're like, the movie theater industry is bombing. You know, movie theaters, it's like they're having a really hard go. Not a lot of people are going to see movies. And then every year we're shattering box office records. Yes. So it's like, you can't have it both ways, assholes. What's really happening? Yeah, Endgame this week passed Avatar. It is the biggest money 
money-making movie. Of all time. Of all time, which should make you happy because this is an Avengers movie. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, but then in the same week, they're like, oh, theaters are not they're struggling. Well. They're theaters like, are struggling. Nobody wanted to see Men in Black International. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Oh, yeah, people are idiots. <laughs> yeah, now, you know what? No, no one's yeah. ever satisfied. That's true. That's why we have a class of billionaires. Yeah, Be- because because millionaire wasn't cool enough for, most, right, for yeah. those guys. <laughs> they needed more money. Yes. Oh, idiots! For, for no reason at all. Well, the big news this week, as we recorded, is actually uh, a day after it came out. Marvel pushed put all of their might at San Diego into Jonathan Hickman taking over the X-Men. Yeah, uh, he you're, uh, he launched a miniseries called Power House, or House of, of X. House of X. And so that launched, will lead into his new two-monthly series he'll be writing at the same time. Yes, so that the first issue came out uh, yesterday, because we are recording this right. on a Thursday evening. And next, next week will be the Powers of X. Yeah, so there's... Two miniseries running con- congruently, if that's the word that yes. I use correctly, and it'll be weekly essentially. So it's like it, it you know, I don't like this stuff because it's like a lot of buying, but when it's good, I don't mind right. it. And that's a good segue into saying that I am all on board with this X Men book after this first issue. I was gonna trade weight for it um, because I figured if it's really great, I'll want a hardcover on my shelf. And, if and then I'm I bu- said, "No, read it now." No, you, you t- <laughs> yeah, you said, you said we're going to talk about that today, right? And I was like, "Well, I didn't read it. Did you read? It? Yes, I did. Yep, read it." And uh, you know what? Give it up for giving it up for Comicsology because I picked up my books this week. Yeah, I picked up my Spider Man and uh, City of Bane, and I saw House of X, and I'm like, oh, "Do I want that in my long box? Do I want to? I want to read it, but do I want to keep it?" And then after we talked, I went on Comicsology. And Comixology is like, yeah, here's it. It'll download directly. And it was the director's cut. Oh, yeah. Which was 178 pages. How much was it? It was $6. What's, that's its cover price or that's what you paid for it? Uh, I paid even less because I'm a Comixology Unlimited member. Yeah. So I can read stuff for free. I paid, oh, I paid right. five, you pay monthly fee. I paid five bucks for it. And it was a big issue, but it also... It contained the full script and yeah. sketches. And- I like when they have, uh, I believe actually, because I also read the director's cut, and it had the entire issue in pencils and inks, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yes, and then did. it's like, they include the script, and it's like, why? <laughs> See, that's because <laughs> you're an artist understand. and not a writer. Yeah. Look, did you do you understand your own argument? You're like, they, they had all the pencils by themselves. Yeah. But why would you have the script? And I was looking at it like, well, oh, you have the script, but... Why would you have the art again? <laughs> yeah, well, it's that's literally like, the difference of a writer's and uh, point of view and an artist's point of yes, view. Yes, exactly. I'm like, oh, I really want to see these pencils, and then you're just like, I really want to look at the same words I just read. I want to see the formatting. Yes, <laughs> oh, it's crazy. It it literally <laughs> is. What kind of geek are you? And yeah, we we fall on yeah, opposite. which is good. I don't want to agree with you all the time. You know, no, I don't agree with you that much. Uh, so uh, you read the first issue? I did, and it was very Jonathan Hickman. Very. I was going to say it's very Hickman. <laughs> It's very Hickman. Hickman. Uh, it's it's like uh, if you've read his Fantastic Four or yep. his Avengers, especially I think his Avengers. Uh, it's a lot of um, yeah. I, I kind of like that they just let him do whatever he wants in the comic. Yes, the thing that felt the most Hickman to me in this book was um, 
we're just going to stop the story every now and then and make you read a manual. Yeah. But but if you try to skip that manual, you won't know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, it's essential reading. Yeah, like the comic is people running around and then the next t- page is all like specs of like, this is what this group is and this is what they do and this is who they are. And here's the percentage makeup of who controls what asset in this company. And here's S.H.I.E.L.D. and here's AIM and here's HYDRA and here's this. There's always a moment where Jonathan Hickman's like, yeah, I don't feel like entertaining you right now. Well, I think a lot of it is like Jonathan Hickman has, I think, a, like a graphic design background. And I think a lot of it is like, I want to do all this dope shit in this comic. And he wants to fill it with his stuff. You know, he's got to make that graphic design degree work. Yeah, well, the designs work. But, uh, but I... That tripped me up on his Fantastic Four run initially because I remember each issue of the Fantastic Four would end and then there'd just be like a text page that they were like, and this happened and this happened and this happened. Yeah. And I was like, and for about six months, I was like, oh, that's ne- what's going to happen in the next issue. Right. And then I get the next issue. It's a totally different story. And I'm like, wait, wait, he's just putting the ending in. It's like, it's like Poochie went back to his home planet. <laughs> yeah. And uh, oh. then I realized, it was Secret Wars, I think, really taught me. I was like, I have to read this map. Yeah. And so when I was reading it, and I, since I was reading it on digital, I didn't know how many pages it was going to be. I'm just oh, swiping, right. swiping, swiping. So when I got to the first text page, I'm like, oh, that's the end of the issue. Okay. Yeah. And then I read that, and then the story starts again. Yeah, which is a little odd. Yeah. I don't mind it because it's um, the stuff he's doing, uh, those like text pages or what infographics or whatever it is. It's very like uh, he's a breadcrumb writer. You know, it's like Hickman's yes. all his stories start the same way. It's like, here's a couple breadcrumbs for what's coming. And sometimes, I mean, in his Avengers run, particularly the first issue, he started out and he said, here's five crazy things that are going to happen in the next three years. Yeah. And he had three or four panels that all eventually happened during his run. Oh, yeah. The Avengers would always end like that. It would always have like it was like the widescreen yeah and then it would just be like this is gonna happen this and this and you're like wait what what and it was always crazy shit yeah you know and he eventually paid it off every one of them happened and with x-men it's more of like uh spoiler alert again for a book that well we'll talk yes but we'll talk about the overall premise yeah is this idea and i it's like it's one of those hickman's one of those writers and i he might be one of my favorite writers because i think i go back and forth on the guy um, but he, he always does this thing that's like, he takes something that's like such a, like a, oh, duh, and puts it in the comic. And it's a, something you don't think of until after he does it. Mm. And the big thing, one of the big things he did amongst a lot of things he was doing was he establishes that the mutants, and he does this in all his books, is that he always leaves like a language that you can't read. And then yes. the cipher for the language will come out in like six months and you have to go back and translate and read all the, all the shit, issues because yeah. he's an asshole. But... <laughs> The thing that the idea is that mutants don't have their own culture. They don't have their own language. And in this book, he establishes that right, amongst because, because they don't come from the same place. Right. The mutants are international. They're kind of all over the place. It's like there's there the kind of is, but there isn't a central gay language. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. the same idea as like they're born everywhere. They're amongst every culture. But this idea that Charles Xavier has been like putting this like larger culture together uh, for mutant kind is that they should have their own language that no one else can speak because language is the basis of culture. That's where the seed right. and Magneto says that. Yes, and it's like that kind of stuff is like oh duh, like of course they should have their own language. Why wouldn't they? They are they are people unto themselves. So it's like the nation building stuff that he's putting into mm-hmm. X Men is kind of like they've been trying this for a while. You know, they did it with Genosha. They did it with... Well, that's my big question with this. Yeah. Is that... 
the main premise in this to back up a little bit is that um, Charles Xavier has started his own his own country, yeah, which is Krakoa, which is the island that walks. Um, yeah, giant size X Men. Yes, it was the f- the first issue of the new X Men. They fought an island that was a mutant, and it came back in Wolverine and in the X Men. Yeah, and uh, so, but now that is that is now their country. And it's created these like portals where mutants can go into other countries. And then it's creating these flowers that are like super, super pharmaceuticals that everybody wants. But the thing that bugs me, because we don't see Charles in this. Everybody talks about him. You see him a little bit. Yeah. But it's like he's more of like a talked about background figure, which is, again, this is this like breadcrumb storytelling that Hickman does. Right. And the thing that bothers me, which I think is only telling me that I'm into the story. I'm like, well... First of all, we did this with Genosha, yeah, and it didn't work at all. The rest of the world hate the rest of the world hated them when they were just a country and enslaving mutants. And then Magneto took it over, and then everybody hated them. And then, and then eventually, sixteen million mutants got massacred. Yeah, on Grant Morrison's first issue was a was sixteen Mute million genocide. mutants. And then they did it during. We talked about this last week. Is Fraction and Brubaker both had runs on X Men, and they did this thing of Nation X. Yes, it, it was, was Alcatraz. Utopia. Before that, I think it was uh, Asteroid M had crashed to Earth, and they had built a base on what was Asteroid M in the ocean. And then they did Alcatraz. And they the the idea of like a mutant nation isn't like a new concept. I think right. this is that uh, just like rammed up, you know, ten levels. Right. So we'll obviously see where he's going. So it's not the most original idea. The other thing that I think is weird, and I think Hickman has a plan for it is the fact that Charles is doing this because Magneto's always done this and we see Magneto and Magneto's like second in command. But Charles has always been about humans and mutants coexisting coexisting, and Magneto says in this issue, humans are never allowed to set foot in Krakoa ever. Yeah. Because the the ambassador's like, when do we go to Krakoa? He's like, you won't. Yeah. It's kind of like the Paradise Island idea from Wonder Woman is that like it's for women only right men can't yeah. set foot men in can't send foot here so it's like the same idea as like mutants won't be no one but mutants will be allowed on this island right but the the fact so what changed what made charles do a 180 where he's like magneto like what made charles a separatist and i'm sure that's gonna be explored yeah big part of it well and it's also like uh we assume that it's because he's wearing a helmet where you can't see his face right you know, it's like it's, a big cerebro yeah he's basically wearing a permanent cerebro helmet that's like wireless mm-hmm. um and so it's like there might not be charles xavier under there that could be legion that could be mm. any other number of characters so it's like you know, I was talking to my buddy Ken about it because the only thing I'd seen for this was the solicitation of like the covers. And I'm like, eh, Xavier's in like a weird helmet. He's in all black. The right. X Men all have new costumes again, except Phoenix, who's in like her Marvel Girl costume. And I also didn't even get a sense from that. And I didn't read the last X Men uh, crossover, which yeah. level set. Is that the teenage Jean Grey still around? Or I don't is, know. Or I'm assuming. Is she gone and the original one's back? I assume, and I might be mistaken, and don't yell at me on Twitter or whatever, but it's like, I assume that that's the original Jean Grey and that the one, the kids that were brought from for Bendis' nonsense, right. those kids are gone. I think they like sent all those kids home. I think so. I think so. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure they brought Jean back at some point during whatever umpteenth X-Men crossover came out in the last okay. four years. Yeah, and this is such a fresh start. I mean, the, that last crossover was supposed to level set and bring everybody, put everybody back in place for Hickman. Yeah. That I don't think he's picking up a, 
a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I think they were kind of if you if, what you said last week is correct is that they the writers were essentially told to like clear the board. Yeah, Hickman's coming. We just have to publish X Men comics until he's ready to go and these books are produced and coming out. So it's just like just kind of hit reset on everything. Put the X Men back together. Stop all this infighting crap that we've been trying for the last couple of years. Get rid of these younger kids from the past. Right. Bring Cyclops back bring from Cyclops the dead. Back from bring the Wolverine dead. back from the dead. Right. And we we'll only see, see Wolverine in one panel in this book. Actually, what's interesting, Cyclops and Jean Grey, you see a little bit. You see most of Magneto, but it's yeah. like Storm, Colossus, Emma uh, Frost. You see Emma Frost. Um, you see Colossus' hand. You only see him for like one panel with these like planting these like Krakoa flowers all over the world. Yes. Um, and it's kind of actually, um, it, it kind of reminded me of this like uh, w- w- what they do with Black Panther where it's like Black Panther is the super country that is kind of like forbidden for other people to go there. They've mm-hmm. got this resource, Vibranium. It's one of the most uh, uh, potent resources on the planet or whatever, most valuable. And it's very similar to what they're doing with Krakoa, where it's like, here's this island, the flowers of Krakoa are going to be this like valuable resource that the mutants are going to use for like leverage in the world. And it's like um, that kind of uh, storytelling, that idea, like I'm here for. It's like, uh, you know, the art looked great. This Medina, I think his name is, I could be wrong, uh, but it's very like Stuart Amonin. Looking yeah, very, very like like I had to go check the credits again. Yeah, like uh, kind of Sarah Pacelli. Yes, there's this like I don't know I really how to describe that kind of art, but it's like in that vein. This guy really stepped up his game because he was doing stuff a couple months ago where he was good, but he wasn't this good. So mm-hmm. it's like uh, I don't know if he was given more time or if he's just been you know busting his ass. Right, it's a big book. It's a and it's a really good looking book. They established that. Um, this because Hickman kind of writes in his own continuity during the Avengers run. Tony Stark created a weapon called the Hammer of Soul, which is basically like um, a Dyson sphere or partial Dyson sphere, which is like a superstructure you can build around the sun. It's like hypothetical, but Tony Stark can do it because he's Iron Man. And uh, an organization, an anti mutant organization, is assuming control of the Dyson sphere around the sun, and it's like a massive sentinel head. So it's like they're yeah. bringing like Sentinels back. It's like is that what that is? I think so. See, I, I read the Avengers run, but I I forgot about what that hammer. Yeah, solar. Well, there's a lot. And going I was like, okay, there's Avengers this run. space station where they're building like this giant solar power. I central. could be wrong about this, but I'm fairly certain that was because that's like I always remembered that from Avengers because mm-hmm. I think I reread that run. I think when we traded omnibuses. Oh yeah, yeah. I bought the omnibuses, read them once, and I was like, probably not going to read them again. And, and then I you and I them. traded. Yeah, yes. so that was good for me. And I think I reread it then, and that was maybe a year or two ago. And at the end of that run, I was like, Tony Stark still has this like thing floating around the sun that's like a super weapon. What happened to this? Mm. And I think that's what they're basically saying is like, Tony died. Uh, Reed Richards was off planet. So a lot of their equipment that's been in storage at damage control basically has ended up Shield in the hands over, of yeah. Shield and, and the Sword and Aim Alpha Flight are all kind of like bigger organizations working together yeah. to combat like the mutant threat. There's a little like global warming in this in the sense of like an organization run by humans who's aware that like uh mutants are going to take over. Right. That's one of the things that I was curious about the book is the book the the only premise for the book online at the time and it's probably changed a bit now but it's like there were four major events that happened in uh, the X-Men mythos, the original getting together of like the X-Men and Brotherhood and all the puzzle pieces, 
uh, Krakoa, Giant Size X-Men number one, this passing of the torch to an international team. And one of the other things they mentioned was the genocide that Grant Morrison put together in his new X-Men run. And they kind of touch on all three of those items. And there's one more I can't remember. Well, they said the last one was House of X number one. Oh, okay. So they're saying this is the fourth big one. And this builds on that. And that's part of this is the part of this story and the direction they're saying is that if the if the genocide on Genosha didn't happen where 16 million mutants got wiped out in an mm. afternoon, they said it's like mutants already would be the dominant species on the planet. Yes. They said it bought humanity time it didn't know it needed just to uh, remain dominant a little longer. And that's all in one of the text pages. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like those text pages are crammed of like really – they'd be – infuriating in any other book but because they're crammed with these like little tidbits of like cool information for where it looks like the story's gonna go it's like it's like it's it pays off and it pays off immediately in the story so that's the kind of stuff i uh yeah i, I like think, about hickman i did think it was interesting when he that whole thing about um uh reed richards and tony stark's technology uh falling into their hands because they said uh, Tony Stark was considered dead and Reed Richards was off planet for so long. That's the first time I could think of Hickman talking about other people's stories. Yeah. Because recent stuff too. Yeah, this because isn't... Bendis Bendis killed off Tony Stark when he created Riri Williams. Right. And then um nobody used Fantastic Four after Hickman wrote them in Secret Wars and, and sent them off in slots using them now. And right. the Fantastic Four appear in here and they look how slots Yes. Throwing them, they sound like how Hickman wrote them, obviously. But, sure. But they look how, uh, like they do they're in their new uniforms. Run. Yeah, yeah. it has the beard, and they're in the darker blue. Yeah, Dan Slott's actually the only other writer picking up on the Tony was dead for a few years gig, because he's got Tony questioning like his own existence. He's Because like, no, cool. he's writing Iron Man now. Right, because he's on the Iron Man book, and it's like, it is nice to see people kind of take the baton and run with it. You don't really see that a lot in comics, and especially with this X-Men book that kind of disregards whatever the fuck's been going on in X-Men for the last five years. And it's just kind of like, here's the new status quo. There's actually... And the other thing I really like when writers do, and Hickman does this, is they they mine the continuity for uh, how characters should respond to certain things. So there's a really interesting scene where... Uh, the Fantastic Four is chasing what looks like the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. It's like Mystique, Sabretooth, Toad. Toad. Yeah, and uh, they're because they rob some of this technology that uh, belonged to Reed Richards while he was off planet. And Cyclops comes and he's, uh, you know, uh, s- s- uh, Sabretooth gets captured, but Mystique and Toad yeah, get Human away Torch like grabs him in a force field before he can jump in the yeah. portal. And Cyclops comes out and he's very kind of cordial to them. This is like the first time I've really seen Cyclops interact with anybody since he was like a lunatic bad guy and for the last four years. Dead <laughs> and dead. And he, he's very polite, very nice to them. They're very nice to him. And he says something, and it's like, I actually kind of love this line. He says, tell Franklin when he's ready, mm-hmm. his, he has a family waiting for him, referencing the fact that Franklin's a mutant. Right. They don't, I don't think they like talk about that a lot, but like Franklin Richards is born a mutant. I don't think Valeria's not a mutant, but Valeria's, Franklin is. Valeria's not a mutant? Because she's, no, she's super just hyper super, intelligent. She's just isn't super she, smart. Isn't she mutant smart? I, I think technically she is mutant smart, yeah. but it's, uh, uh, it's not... Uh, confirmed i don't think but I she's think also he, a lot younger than him that's true uh, uh but so that was really cool and then another- yeah i like that whole i loved his interaction with them because it reminded me when he steps through the portal you think it's going to be like a confrontation yeah um it reminded me of like joss whedon like when they met the fantastic four you know 
Big Monsters is our signature piece. That, You're in our soup. Yeah, that 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 yeah, thing where like the X Men are like carving out their territory, mm-hmm. and um, or like when he deals with uh, Abigail from Sword, that that kind of idea. And he's and then he's like he's like I got to take Sabretooth back. They're like no, he they, he, he broke in. He murdered, murdered people. people. Yeah, they like he murdered. He really hurt a lot of people. He goes, I ah, just keep him then. Yeah, and I, that idea was like, oh, here we go again. He's gonna stand up for Sabretooth because he's a mutant, and he's yeah. just like. I guess I don't care. Right. We've got Wolverine. The other thing they did, um, which I thought was nice, is they've they've had this idea in comics for a while, and this might be a Grant Morrison thread too. I don't really know where the idea of like Omega level mutants came from. Yeah. And I feel like it was first talked about with Phoenix. Yeah, maybe. And uh so then they talk about in one of these like side panels with like a graphic info chart, is they list all the known um Omega level mutants, and then they list where their allegiance lies, yeah. and that's interesting. And then they talk about how Franklin's Franklin, I think, is the only Omega level mutant whose allegiance is to humanity. And then they talk about how, as a nation, uh, they're very protective of their resources. A mutant nation whose uh, unifying th- thesis or whatever is that they're mutants their most precious resource would be Omega level mutants. Mm. And they talk about that a little bit as this idea is like maybe setting up a larger conflict where it's the X-Men being like, Franklin belongs with us, not with you. And if you've been reading Dan Sutt's run on Fantastic Four, it's like they are putting Franklin, which what they should have done a decade and a half ago is making him older. He's aging yeah. like he should He's be. He's a brooding teenager. He's a brooding teenager. Well, the idea was that they were gone in other dimensions a lot longer than we missed Right. Them. That's why I think they gave Reed a beard. It's like he looks yeah. older. And like, honestly, the beard looks great. Beard it's does like, look great. He should have a beard. Yeah, yeah. I'm all uh, on board with beard. He's, he's had the gray temples for long yeah, enough. Yeah, give it's him like, a gray beard. He looks good yeah. with it. It's distinguished. Yeah, so I'm. It's not a typical story. I was just just thinking about how you and I have read a lot of Hickman, and we both like Hickman. Yeah, I discovered him on Fantastic Four because I'm always on board if somebody good is going to do the Fantastic Four. Yeah, and I love that run. And then um, I didn't read his Avengers month to month, but then I picked up the Omnibus, and I thought it was great. Uh, and I know you were a big fan of from Image, actually. His first, and if anyone's interested, his first big book was a book called The Nightly News that he actually wrote Andrew for Image Comics. And I remember reading it and being like blown away. I'm like, dude, this guy's incredible. I've never and seen it, him draw. I, I've yeah, never read The Nightly it's News. It's not like a lot of, it's all digital, I think. But it's um, it's it's very Hickman-y. It's like, there'd be three pages of story, and then there'd be a page where they'd have like statistics about like the news and how it's organized and who controls it. And then... He'd have at the top and be like, hey, you can read all this interesting facts about the news or you could turn the page and just keep reading the story. So it's like he this kind of stuff's been mm. baked into Hickman's like uh, methodology or whatever mm-hmm. since I've been reading him, which is I mean, that book, I think, broke him. I think that was the book where Marvel was yeah, like, Marvel noticed. Him. Oh, get this guy to do whatever nonsense he wants. And to he do. said in an interview, he said the reason they gave me Fantastic Four was that Mark Millar's run didn't do as well as they hoped. And Mark Millar's run was pretty disappointing. Yeah, it wasn't great. But like you can thank Mark Millar doing a for, job. for having Hickman yeah. in the Marvel Universe at all. Well, good for But him. I, I wonder, you and I, so you and I are, are well used to Hickman, and as we said, we spent a lot of time going, there's this text page that comes in the middle, but right. you read it. I, I can only imagine the person that's never read a Jonathan Hickman book before who's like, I love the X-Men, here's a big X-Men book. Because it doesn't read like any X-Men book 
you've ever seen. Yeah. Like, there's no conflict yet. Yeah. There's just, it's, it's, it's like, it's all chess pieces moving. It's in the all place. world building. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I think it's engaging. I could be wrong about this. Um, but it, to me, yeah, it's a very Hickman-y, uh, start to a book, but that first issue he did of Avengers mm-hmm. has the six Avengers from the movie having a big fight on Mars right away. That's the first issue. Yeah. So it's like he established that book with like, hey, you saw Avengers in theaters. This is the Avengers book you should be reading if you right. want to read Avengers. Yeah. And it, it's, there's, uh, I don't know that the same thing is true this for This book begins X-Men. with planting flowers. Yes. So <laughs> it's, we'll, we'll see. I hope it does good. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure know? the sales are through the roof and I think amongst um people that know his work i think they know what to expect right but it's it is so like don't expect a big fight don't expect the villain to show up don't expect them to go this is the team now right and here's the villain behind the scenes which i couldn't even i couldn't how they've done the last seven reboots begin to predict what the next issue is gonna look like no it's like hickman is like i said it's like this he like why is powers of x a different book yes i don't know why is it an issue too I don't know. It's like you kind of take this guy. He's going to take you by the hand. He's going to lead you through the dark. You just got to take it at one step at a time, you know? Well, and when it spins off into into the uh, monthly titles, he's doing New Mutants as well as X-Men. Yeah, so the New With Mutants are in this in a bit, yeah. which is interesting. But then I saw there's a, there's a Marauders book coming out with yeah, he's not writing. Yeah, Rogue and Gambit are in. And Pyro. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's, a, there's an Excalibur book coming out yep. where he's not writing that either. There's a Fallen Angels book coming out. Yes, but in Excalibur, and this is actually pretty cool, we'll see if the book's any good, is Psylocke's the new Captain Britain. Hmm. Yeah, she's in like the blue and like the Captain Britain uniform, and is she's Cap- got a is, sword. That's where's the, Captain Britain now? Is he dead? Who the fuck knows? Okay, you know, I, I just didn't know if he showed up in Avengers recently. Uh, the last time I saw Captain Britain was Jonathan Hickman's run of Avengers. He was part of the Illuminati. Yeah. So would so you would recommend this book to say a lapsed X fan? Yeah, I. Th- uh, so yeah, so to, on that point. Uh, I've tried every reboot of X-Men they've come up with since Astonishing X-Men, since Whedon and Cassidy left Astonishing X-Men. I've tried every single reboot yeah. they've done. And they replaced Morrison, so. Yes. And those guys, yeah, those are the guys that carried the torch from Grant Morrison. They haven't, and to my mind, had X-Men figured out since then. Yeah. Uh, this is the first one I've read where I'm like, I'm on board. I read Blue and Gold, and I was like, Ugh, what are we talking about? Yeah. I read all new X-Men. I was disappointed, but it was a beautiful book because Stuart Amonen was drawing it, so and I stuck with it. was drawing Uncanny. Right, and it's like, this is the first one where it's like the art, the writing, the story, the direction, the concepts. It's like, uh, I'm on board with everything they're doing at this point. We'll see where it goes, uh, but I'm very optimistic. The greatest thing in the world. This week. I'm going to cheat a little this week. So, uh, amongst... My comic reading this uh, week, books I picked up, is um, uh, Mark Wade came out with a History of the Marvel Universe book, which I've been really excited about. They're doing all this like 80th anniversary stuff for Marvel, which is, uh, I love it. And um, there's two books that came out that this week that I was like very excited for, and they both had on the same week, which was incredible. Uh, the first one is this History of the Marvel Universe that Mark Wade did, where it's basically... Um, uh, it's the history of the entire Marvel universe, basically everything that matters up until like a month ago, stuff that is recent stories like this 1000 BC Avengers with like Odin and Phoenix and Agamotto and the first Ghost Rider forming like a team of Avengers on like prehistoric Earth and fighting 
Eternals and stuff, which is awesome. That's a Jason Aaron concept. It's very, very recent shit. And it's basically going to go through, they're going to do, I think, nine issues or something, or six issues. And it's a miniseries, and it's just going to be exactly what it sounds like. Just dope art showcasing all the big uh, touchstones in the Marvel Universe. And this first issue starts with uh, the Big Bang, with Galactus showing up in our universe, because he's the only surviving member of the previous universe. Right. And it goes all the way up into... Um, like Ghost Rider, like the first Ghost Rider, the Western, the Western Ghost Rider. So it's like it's about to kick off. The next issue is going to be all the like World War One, World War Two superheroes, uh, like Human Torch, Captain America, the Invaders, and these guys. So uh, it was just really, really awesome. The guy who illustrated it um, is not Pablo Rivera, and it's not Marcos Martin, but it's the other guy Mark Wade worked with on Daredevil. Chris Samney? Not Chris Samney. There's another guy, and he's really good. It's not either of those guys, and he did a lot of Spider-Man with Mark Wade, so I think it's one of his like regular dudes. Mm. Um, he's a Hispanic artist, I believe, um, but it's beautiful. It's like uh, picking up this book for the art alone of watching this guy draw every crazy thing that's happened in the Marvel Universe for the last like million years is um is awesome the second book i picked up that i uh oh you're going for two this going for, that's i'm cheating a little uh is they did uh marvel's epilogue so kurt Busiek and alex ross came back to do one more issue of marvel's uh it's not a full issue it's only 16 pages and it's they did do a sequel to marvel's that kurt Busiek wrote but alex ross probably didn't have the time or interest in painting which was like a follow-up called marvel's eye of the camera oh yeah i think it was just about phil suling yeah, yeah. and it's it's not great no. but it's not bad it's still kurt Busiek, so it's okay and it's like you know it's basically the tail end of this guy's life and i think it's in like the 80s or maybe a little later uh but this issue takes place uh during x-men 98 so in the X- first issue oh no the creation of phoenix um right. no oh. it's the return of the sentinels Oh, okay. Where the issue starts where the X-Men are like out. Um, what do you call the it's Christmas? The yes, rink. Christmas. Yes. That's the beginning of the story where she becomes Phoenix. Oh, it takes okay. A few That's issues. where it starts. Yes. Um, and basically, they what's really nice about Marvel is they take this guy, Phil Sheldon, I think his name is, and they insert yes, him Phil in Sheldon. actual issues of the comics. So this guy's kind of been around for everything. He's a photographer for the Bugle and other. He's like a freelance photographer. And so he's kind of witnessed all these like huge moments in the Marvel Universe because he's been reporting on the stuff since like world war ii and it's him he's out at rockefeller plaza with his uh daughters who are now adults now because it's been so many years because it's set in the continuity and they witness um the x-men fighting um sentinels and it's kind of showing just to kind of revisit that world and then alex ross paints it all so it's like bananas insane beautiful um and it's just really kind of nice to revisit that world uh, and then it's annotated. So in the back, they go through and they show you like all the panels that Alex Ross is referencing, all the photos mm. they took for like uh, photo references, and all like the little Easter eggs they've kind of sprinkled in the issue. And what I didn't realize until I read this one, because I spent a lot more time looking at Alex Ross artwork than pretty much anyone else's artwork on a monthly book. And I've read X Men 98 probably four or five times, and I never noticed. Um, the first big splash page is all the X-Men and they're at the skating rink in Rockefeller Center. Right. And there's a little Dr. Doom ice skating in the rink. And Dave Cockrum drew that. Like, huh. it's like a nod. That's like a little joke. But then he also put in Lois Lane and Clark Kenner in there. 
And that's also done by Dave Cockrum, but like Alex Ross kept them in there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Julie Schwartz is in it as well. Huh. And I don't know what was going on at the time or if just because he's like the guy saved comic books single handedly. Right. Um, what it specifically was, but it's like it's one of those things where there's a lot of little Easter eggs in these books. And in that same issue, not in Marvel's, but in X-Men 98, Stanley and Jack Kirby have a cameo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's just like a lot of nice little moments. There's the X-Men in street clothes and they're walking around outside Rockefeller and Matt Murdock is in the crowd and Nick Fury and the Contessa. What's her name? His girlfriend at the time is in the crowd. Um, so it's like there's a lot of people in like civilian clothes like mingling about in the crowd, which is, uh, you know, cute little nod or whatever. Yeah. Um, but just like uh, House of X or whatever, Powers of X or whatever we read, um, it's annotated. So in the back, it has all this stuff and then it has the script for all you literature nerds. And then it has Alex Ross's pencils for the book. And uh, there's no amount of that dude's pencils that I'll ever refuse to like look at. It's like Once again, you denigrate the script. <laughs> yeah, yeah, take a big old shit on the script. Yeah. And I love Kurt Busiek. He's great. But uh, I'm there for the artwork. <laughs> so anyway, if you are at a comic book store, you are going to pick up this X-Men book we've been raving about. You might want to check out these other two books. They're pretty dope. Yeah, I've been meaning to take a look at the Marvel's epilogue. Um, I got something weird this week. It's not only the 80th anniversary of Marvel; it's the 80th anniversary of Batman. Yes. So there's a lot of uh, that stuff. There's a lot of that stuff going on, and I've been in this the last few weeks. I've been spending way too much money on figures. Uh, it's the same money I always spend on figures, but instead of getting like 12 figures, I'm getting three and <laughs> spending yeah. the same amount of money. And uh, the problem. I've noticed this. The problem with spending a lot of money is it it's really hard to spend that much on something that you haven't paid that much for. I noticed this with the guitars. I was used to paying $500 for a guitar. And then they were, then I saw a $2,000 guitar. It took months to decide if I was going to get it. Yeah. Problem you got to like warm up to it. Yeah. The problem is after you spent the $2,000 on a guitar, it's kind of easy to spend another $2,000 right. on a guitar. I did it already. Yeah. So I've been getting these like yeah. – I've been getting the, – the Mezcos are really expensive. And then I've been getting the Mafex which are also really expensive. And then out of curiosity, because now this is what I do. Yeah, you it's a sickness, John. It's a sickness. This is a sickness. Uh, I just got uh, the Yamaguchi Batman, which is the craziest Batman figure I've ever seen. I haven't put it down the entire show. Yeah. but You've dropped it a couple times. I've, uh, I've dropped pieces of it. Yeah. Because it's so oddly engineered that when I saw it, when I first saw it, I was like, I don't want that thing. And I saw the price, I was like, I definitely don't want that. And then I kept looking at it, I'm like, how does, how does that work? How does that? So what it is, is it's a Marvel Legends-sized figure. It's a really cool sculpt. It's very anime-influenced. Kind of looks like Batman Ninja. Yeah, I think that's why we ended up talking about it. It's like it put yeah. it in our heads. But it's got, um, he's put together like a jigsaw puzzle where everything's kind of a ball and socket. Yeah. From the feet to the chest to the hips. Uh, so he's got a ton of posability, uh, but he doesn't quite look human. There's certain poses where, like, the joint is just coming out of the shoulder. Uh, but he's still cool. You can get him in a lot of poses. The belt is articulated to get out of the way of his legs when yeah. you move it. But the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life is the cape. Yeah, and uh, we've talked about Batman capes before recently. Sometimes they're cloth, sometimes yeah. they're sculpted. And they put, like, wires in them yep. so they're posable. They've done a lot of really interesting things with the Batman capes. This is the most interesting thing I think I've ever seen them do with the Batman capes. So what it is is it is 18 separate, jagged, triangular pieces of cape that are all ball-jointed. Yeah. And when you—so you can pose— 
and they have like a ball joint on each end. So I'd say the cape has like 30 points of articulation. Yeah, it's a Outs. little ridiculous. Yeah. But it's like, that sounds terrible. It sounds like it would look ridiculous, but it's like when you look at it, it's like it still looks like Batman's cape. It just looks like it can grow and shrink and yeah. pose and uh, it, it has a possibility that no other cape probably it has. It looks like Spawn's cape. It's like, yeah. this is kind of how McFarlane would draw a Spawn's cape, which uh, then makes me think, like, how long before these guys make a Spawn? Right. Or if they have they already. Yeah, that's very possible. But it's weird. The the detail I love the most. So it's all these shards of cape, so you can, like, splay it out like bat wings. You can kind of group it all together like a cloth cape, but it's still jagged. It kind of hurts to touch it. Yeah, it's uh, The points are points. very pointy. But the thing I really admire was that it came with switchable hands that are gripping the cape. Yeah, and I feel like that cool. makes all the difference because no matter what crazy pose you put him in, he looks like he's holding the cape, yeah, which is the thing we always see in comics. But I don't know that I've ever seen in a figure. No, the Mezco can kind of do it just because he's posable in the cape is cloth, right? But this this is like sculpted into his gauntlets. Yeah, it's this kind of thing I, I got, it and I was like, well, maybe I'll return it. Uh, I just I need to know how to this know. thing works. And now that I got him, I kind of like him. He's definitely not the perfect classic Batman. And at this point, I don't know that I have one. I, yeah. mu- I must have, I must have 60 yeah, different figures. There might be of too many Batman. options to have a, there's so many perfect. options that there's nothing yeah. that hits right up the middle. This is definitely the weirdest one I have, Yeah, but it's kind of cool on his own. Yeah, uh, it's I definitely posted, interesting. There is actually a picture of him on the caffeinated comics, Facebook page. Which you can follow by going to facebook.com slash caffeinated comics. I posted a picture last night of him leaping with it behind. Um, you can also uh, f- you can also follow me at Not In My Book on Instagram and Twitter. That is the official Caffeinated Comics social network feed. Uh, like something, leave a comment. I always take a look. Uh, gotten to know many fans that way. The people that regularly post, yeah, I end nice. up getting conversations with. And Steven? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at the Brave Butter Pecan. And you can find our show. Uh, we are members of the Radio Misfit Pos- Podcast Network. We know the Lifestyle tab. And you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes.